Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Active Optimist podcast. This is Arena, your host, the Active Optimist. With everything I do, I want you to believe that you don't have to be depressed forever. I truly believe that depression is the ultimate cry for help, not for happiness, but for connection back to ourselves and what truly matters. I'm here each week to support you, bring community, and give you daily actions to address the social, psychological, and biological causes of depression so that you can step into the life you know you're meant to lead. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing this time to spend with me to think about your mental health, to talk about depression in a really radical way, and to listen to this podcast as an action of self-love, of self-care, and getting on the path to recovery. So as today's title says, I will be going quickly through five things that no one tells us about depression. I thought that this would be important because there's a lot of misunderstanding about depression and there's a lot of disservice surrounding depression when we talk about what can help us and what to do about it. I chose these five things because I thought they were going to be the most important in just understanding depression as a whole and also addressing a lot of the assumptions that people have about depression and just the, you know, the common myths that are surrounding depression in popular culture, which are often outdated based on what we know about depression, what we know about the mind now, or they just don't tell you the whole story about depression. And I do call it a disservice because I think that without telling us the whole truth, people often use it to to stigmatize depression, to not address it as an individual issue with individual causes. Instead, it is just one size fits all, which we all know that isn't true. And I think we can all feel that it's not true because we're individual. And these are our feelings, this is our mood, this is our mind. And it also is very connected to what we think of as ourself. And knowledge is some sort of power. So I just wanted to quickly go through these five things. Hopefully I'll run out of time and I can explain them in enough depth so that you can get understanding of it. The first, it's probably not in your genetics. There's a misunderstanding that depression is genetically caused or genetically programmed. And this is, I think, a conflation between depression and a lot of other mental health issues, which have a stronger genetic link. The research on genetics and depression is mostly inconclusive. They do think that there are places in your genetics that can be activated to create depression, but you have a bad gene and you're just bound for depression. Or if a lot of people in your family have depression, you're just bound for depression and there's not much you can do about it because it's in your genes. I really think this is communication and just a disservice for us and doesn't take into account that our environmental factors and our social factors also can cause our depression. And that's what I'm getting to. So even if your family really struggles with depression, if your mom was depressed or if someone in your family was depressed, especially if it was a parent, it's probably not your genetics. It's probably some 
behaviors, some mindset things that you were taught as a kid that is reflecting in your life right now as depression. There are so many complexities with this, especially in familial relationships that I can't dive into right now, but hopefully we will be able to in future episodes. But genetics and the biological causes of depression only kick in after the psychological and social causes persist in most cases. As I said before, there is some heretical disposition to have depression, but these must be activated by your, your environment, by the social and psychological environment that you find yourself in. And if you're really into the science of depression in terms of genetics, depression is heterogeneous in nature, meaning multiple genes with small effects are likely involved. So there's no established universal genetic risk factor or causative gene for depression that has been yet identified. And people are continuing to research this, continuing to look for a gene or multiple genes that do cause depression, but they haven't been found. And my hunch is that they are there, but they have to be activated by your environment. And I really think that saying that depression is hereditary or that you have a genetic predisposition is an over-explanation of the fact that it actually may be just your environment that you find yourself in that may activate these genes. But probably if you have all these stresses, all these psychological social stresses, you're going to get depressed even if you don't have a big genetic risk. Number two is that depression can be sometimes a symptom of another disease or malfunction that is happening in your body. Unfortunately, depending on which doctor you go to, they may be unaware of any other disease that may show itself as depression. And all of these mostly just need to have the correct test to find out. And if it is depression, these tests should come back negative. One of the diseases that come up is having a low thyroid function. And a thyroid is gland that is in your throat and it helps control metabolism and energy. So obviously, if you have those low metabolism energy hormones, your energy dips and that can put you into a cycle of depression and then depression becomes a symptom of this low thyroid function along with other things like muscle pains, constipation, or menstrual, you know, period changes. So if you have a hunch, of course, talk to your doctor, um, see if you can take a blood test. Those are pretty easy to do and pretty painless. Like it's pretty unconsequential. So if you do think that you might have a hunch, see if maybe some of your hormone amounts. And basically what I'm saying is that Some of us have to do more investigative research because depression is diagnosed by having various signs. So there's a list of symptoms, and if you check off a certain amount within a certain amount of time, then they can diagnose you with depression. There's no real test to see, are you depressed? There's no biomarkers that they have yet to discover or yet to test efficiently that directly point to depression. Also, Another thing that is also connected is chronic inflammation. So while depression is not an inflammatory disease, the two are connected and they create a vicious cycle. So if you do have an inflammatory problem, then that can get into your brain and make the brain inflamed, which creates a depressive feeling. And then depression also can 
reinforce the cycle over and over. If for some reason you know in the past that you had an inflammation issue or if you know you have chronic inflammation issues, just know that those two things can be connected and if you want to do a full recovery, you should probably look into those two things and see how can I help my brain and how can I help this inflammation that my body has. So number two is actually look deeper into what you're feeling and what your body is telling you. For most people, I do think that it will be just depression, but we always want to make sure if we want to make a full recovery, we don't want to taking all these medications for something that actually isn't addressing the whole issue or it's only addressing half the issue. Number three, yes, your food is affecting your brain. As we all know, the food that we eat has a power effect on our physical body and we have all these issues surrounding that with body shaming, body expectations, and beauty standards, and all these things that are really, really powerful forces in our society and have really damaged a lot of us, or just not not even damaged, but we've struggled with and we've felt these forces on us. The food that you eat can have a powerful effect on your brain, not just in terms of telling people to eat salad, eat healthy because they want to lose weight. That's obviously connected to body shame, and that gets in your brain, and that harms your self-esteem, which can also be a part of depression, it also has an actual physical effect on the brain. It's a two-way highway linked by a physical connector, which is called the vagus nerve, which literally goes from your brain to your stomach. So when you eat, your food goes from your mouth to your stomach. And in your digestive system, we have little, little micro- bacteria, microorganisms that help us digest food and take the nutrients out that we need. And it's this whole ecosystem. Think of the Amazon. It's really complex. There's a lot of different things. It's super diverse, super varied. All these organisms help you get the nutrients from the food. So they break it down. They do all these things. It's what they call the second brain. And as a whole, these are called a microbiome. And the health or unhealth of this microbiome, so this rainforest, is directly linked to the food that you eat. Because if you're feeding it good food, then obviously it'll be healthy and it'll be able to grow and thrive. But obviously if you cut out something that it really needs, some of the little organisms will wither away and die because they don't have the food that they want. And having an unhealthy microbiome is really, really, really serious. It comes out in a lot of different ways. It's not just your weight. It's not of what we classically think of as what food does to us. It affects your whole, whole body. And in our case, what we're really interested in is in an unhealthy microbiome, it can affect the important hormones that we need to thrive. For example, serotonin. So we all know that serotonin is associated with mood and happiness, but this is primarily made 90% of your serotonin, so the serotonin that you may think of as imbalance, is made in our digestive system by these microbiomes. So if these microbiomes are unhealthy, then the production of serotonin obviously dips or becomes irregular, and we can feel that in our mood and in our happiness. And this will be another episode for sure, multiple episodes probably, but this is just to show that eating healthy food has to be more than 
just trying to, you know, lose weight and body shame and telling you that you're not enough because you have to look a certain way. It's not even that. It's it's fundamental in how we feel. And what is generally thought of as bad for you is more or less true in this context. I mean, there's specifics, but more or less true in this context. So when I say the food that we think is bad for you, I'm generally talking about like processed foods, too much sugar, too much gluten, dairy. For some people, gluten and dairy is very... So anyway, these wear out our digestive system's lining, which can allow for toxins in this bad food to get into our bloodstream and our brain. And that will trigger an immune response as well, which I talked about before. So that can trigger a inflammatory immune response, which we know is associated with depression, anxiety, brain fog, and other brain problems. So just to sum it up, your food is affecting your brain and eating healthy food is very, very important to have an optimal body to support our brain, especially if our brain is struggling, especially if we're, you know, um, if we feel depressed. So just eating really healthy foods and eating your greens, eating, drinking water will just set you up for success when we are trying to help it repair itself. Number four is depression is more than a chemical imbalance. This is one of the biggest myths on depression, that it is a chemical imbalance, that it's a chemical issue, and it will be solved by chemical things. It is known throughout the medical field that it is pretty near false when it comes to depression. Depression is more than a mind-feeling thing. It's more than a chemical imbalance. Depression is less of a chemical imbalance, but more as a pattern that your brain got into a set of habits that your brain feels safe in, and that there are social, there are psychological, there are environmental forces that play on you as a human being, as a living being on earth that can cause depression. This comes down to neural circuits in your brain. Your brain has different areas, but it also has different networks and different circuits that connect to each other. And just like anything in your body, all these things can get really strong or really weak. And that's what we call neuroplasticity, meaning that your your brain can change shapes, it can prune itself, it can grow itself, it can make new circuits, it can kill circuits, it can do everything. It's kind of like Play-Doh, like you have a ball of Play-Doh, which is your brain, but you can create it in different things so it can function at an optimum level. And also, I do think that this saying that depression is a chemical imbalance is a disservice to us because a lot of us know why we got depressed. At a minimum, we can look at what happened a year before we got depressed. And if we hear ourselves and if we can think back on what happened, a lot of us can identify what caused or what destabilized us to fall into our first depressive episode. And hopefully if we do look back and we can identify why we got depressed and understand it as a combination of things, that it's not just a chemical imbalance that randomly happened in our brain, we can have some self-compassion for ourselves and realize that and understand that, yes, we've been hurt. That yes, of course we would feel depressed in these circumstances, 
that we've been mistreated in the past, that we felt isolated, that we felt shamed or disrespected, or that we were just totally lost in our purpose and our work. Those are really, really important things. Those are really valuable things for the whole human experience to have something to look forward to, to have something to work on, to have something to love, someone to love is fundamental in the human experience and fundamental in feeling a whole human being. So that's just something that I think gets really erased when we call it a chemical imbalance that just needs a chemical solution is that we're erasing the humanity and the human experience of life and of what depression is and then also blocking out the solutions to depression. So just put the humanity and the human experience back into depression and understand that it is more than a chemical imbalance and greet yourself with self-compassion. Depression might just be our call for help, that it just might be our call that we cannot continue living like this as a human, as a person, and that something needs to change in our world. And number five, your feeling that you cannot change or are afraid to change is real. And what I mean as real doesn't mean that that you actually can't change. It just means that depression is a stable state. And if you feel like you're fighting against your brain, that may be true. And know that once your brain gets used to functioning in a certain way, whether it is depression, whether it is out of depression, whether it is spiraling up or spiraling down, once your brain gets used to that, it wants to keep you thinking and acting that way. So keeping you acting and thinking, depressed, looking at everything as difficult, as hard, as unenjoyable. And this connects number four, that depression is more like a pattern that your brain learns to function with and gets stuck in. And one thing that I wanted to talk about, which made a lot of sense to me, is what is a network that is called, it's a neural network, which is called the default mode network. And this network was kind of accidentally found when researchers would scan people's brains and make them do a task for whatever they're researching. And they realized that when the participants weren't doing anything, they were just waiting for the researcher to tell them what they're supposed to do or whatever, that their brain would go in this resting state, which they called the default mode network. And this is what they think is just the default state of the brain while resting, while not doing anything. And this includes daydreaming, self-reflection, monitoring the environment, just like figuring out what's happening, thinking about what's happening to you, inward thoughts, and rumination. This is a very inward thinking network. So when you're just not doing anything, you kind of think inwardly. You think about yourself, you think about who you are, what's going to happen, what happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future, all these things, just kind of what we default to. And interesting enough, so this network turns off when we're told to do something. So in these participants, for example, they were waiting in the, and the researcher would tell them to task. And when they had to pay attention to the researcher telling them what to do, and then when they had to focus on the task, this default mode network would turn off. And then what they actually wanted to study would turn on and they would go on with their research project. But interestingly enough, the default mode network doesn't turn off with a depressed person as much as a non-depressed person. When we feel like we're stuck in 
our worry, we're stuck in our self-reflection, we're stuck in our rumination. This is because of a not turning off default mode network. So that feeling that you can't change or you're afraid to change and that you can't stop, it's real and there's an actual system that supports that. But your brain isn't broken, it's just more stuck in a downward spiral and our job is to bring it up into an upward spiral. So as a depressed person, even if we're going to our therapist, even if we're going to our psychiatrist, we have to support ourselves to make sure that our recovery is complete, that our recovery is optimal and long-lasting. Your feelings that you can't change or are afraid of change is real because your brain is safe. It's comfortable in this position that it's in, which in our case is depression. So we have to get out of that comfort zone and put it in a new comfort zone and hopefully keep it in that feeling not depressed enough so that it gets used to that place. It gets used to feeling more emotions, to feel less numb, to be more active. So you're not crazy, it is real, but it's not impossible and it's not hopeless. We can change this, we just have to do the necessary things to do to change it and it'll take a lot of work and it'll be scary, but the reward is to live fully, to feel fully, to feel alive, to feel connected, which I think is worth it. So those are the five things that no one really tells us about depression that I want to share that I thought were very important in just understanding yourself and understanding that that it's a whole body thing, that it's sane. It's a sane reaction to the world that we live in, but we can change it. It's not the end of the road. Meet yourself with compassion. Meet yourself with, I know that this is really hard, but we're going to get out of it. And meet yourself with understanding. I really do believe that there's a part in our story that we could look at and be like, of course you're depressed. Of course you're hurt. Of course you feel super lost. You feel disconnected. So I really just want you to meet yourself with self-understanding and compassion and just recognize that hurt little child inside of you or that hurt grown child inside of you or grown person inside of you. So yeah, so just understand that and understand that maybe being depressed is the sanest reaction you could possibly have if you felt neglected, if you felt abused, if you felt mistreated, disrespected, any any little small thing, it doesn't matter how small it was or how huge it was or how small other people think it was. And if in your mind this was a huge thing or if you were the only person that saw it or recognized it, doesn't mean that that might have been a reason for depression and maybe the world that we live in is inhospitable to people even though we've created it okay so two actions of the week first action is for you to look back to reflect hold out a piece of paper if you want write it down do a voice memo that's kind of cool look back what happened a year before you got depressed is there something that you think destabilized you we have stabilizers and destabilizers what do you think destabilized you was it your parents' job loss? Was it graduating college? Was it a breakup, a friendship breakup? It could be anything. It could be small. Was it moving back home? Was it COVID? Was it getting sick? Was it your dog dying? Was it your parents being disappointed that you are home? So 
just think about it. And I know it's been a really rough year, so there might be a lot of things. Maybe go for two years. So Action of the Week is just for you to look back and hopefully you can see something or find something that you can be compassionate to and try to, you know, have the capacity to be comforting and understanding of the you a year ago and reach out to them and just say, I understand you and I'm here for you. And then next action of the week is ask a question. Ask a question. I want to know how I can help you. I want to know what you're interested in, what you're worried about. I just want to hear your stories. So feel free to reach out to me. I just want to hear them so I can serve you even better than I am right now. Of course, follow me on Instagram at Irina Erickson or at Subsequently Depression. We're there. Have a great week, everyone. I hope you feel the love that I have for you. Stay strong. The world needs you. You're needed here. You have a purpose. Even if you can't see it, it's there. I promise you. So yeah, power on my friends. Thank you.